I'm Bill Bubert. Stoicism changed my life, and it can change yours. Stoicism counsels self-mastery more than submission to desire. It provides a toolkit for you to live a satisfying and deliberate life and to lead others to do the same. The dash is not only the brief part on the tombstone that symbolizes your time on earth, but the process to make it all worthwhile. Welcome to the premiere episode of The Dash. I'm Bill. A brief snapshot of who I am. I have a beautiful wife and five children and five grandchildren. I'm a retired Army officer and have had a varied career in everything from the grunt life to the more staid profession of a systems engineer. I've been an unconscious stoic for all of my adult life and a conscious stoic for half my life. My true stoic awakening was my time in the military, where I spent nearly two dozen years, and I received the gift. For me, the gift was making me a dead man walking. I know that sounds a bit morbid, but I discovered through training and deployments to combat theaters that I could slip off this mortal coil at any time. That revelation, that discovery, that epistemological light bulb really set me on a path where life was much easier after that than it had been before. These near-death encounters free a man like nothing else. And what I discovered is that philosophically, Stoicism not only acknowledges this unequivocally, but uses the gift as a means to give your life purpose, direction, and meaning if you make it so. So what do I mean by dead man walking? All that means is it's, and, and employing the term, the gift. It's not only a revelation, but it's a sense that if you discover just how temporary and relatively short your time is in the dash, in this life, in this mortal coil, you discover that you want to make everything count. You want to make it count from my perspective in a good way, in a virtuous way. You want to not only be good for yourself, but be good for your family, your friends, your relationships, your neighbors, the planet, whatever the case may be. And by the way, I'm not talking about naked altruism here because I don't happen to believe in that. I happen to believe in enlightened self-interest. And I think that this whole thing really speaks to that. That is the core of this podcast. I suspect there are many Stoic writers, podcasters, and observers for you to spend time with, so what makes me unique? Well, I suspect that my martial insights, harnessed to my individualist perspective, skeptical of all the behavior of all large groups of humans, will make my perception and my perspectives more singular than most. You know, it's a tired cliche and stereotype that, well, we're all individuals. Stoicism is not as popular today as it once was because it takes work to be a virtuous Stoic and the foregoing of present consumption for future return is not exactly a hipster version of living in society today. These hard decisions tend to mitigate against affluence and find happiness and tranquility and less material well-being than more. I would say... The exploration of Stoicism, the mastery of Stoicism, it takes a lifetime of contemplation, the efforts of practice, the attainment of mastery in different parts of it. 
Stoicism is an ancient philosophy, and Seneca, Aurelius, Epictetus, I've drawn from all of them to include Lucretius and others, and some more modern applicants to the Stoic body of literature. But Seneca has a really interesting quote where he demonstrates why all the ills of the world come down to an acceptance of life lived on others' terms than your own. And I quote, And so, if only we are willing to withdraw our necks from the yoke, we can keep a stouter heart against such terrors as these. But first and foremost, we must reject pleasures. They render us weak and womanish. They make great demands upon us, and moreover, cause us to make great demands upon fortune. Second, we must spurn wealth. Wealth is the diploma of slavery. Abandon gold and silver and whatever else is a burden upon our richly furnished homes. Liberty cannot be gained for nothing. If you set a high value on liberty, you must set a low value on everything else. End of quote. And by the way, I'm not saying here that you have to avoid affluence. You have to avoid all of these things. But the moderation that you set to those goals, the means by which you do that, the virtue and the good that you instill in your pursuit thereof, that's what makes the ultimate determination for yourself in living a virtuous life. And in living a virtuous life, that is the final good of Stoicism. Because remember, this, this isn't a strike against affluence. It's simply a Jeremiah against making the ends you seek with a concomitant submission required that if it makes you a worse person or a less good person, then maybe that fortune that you acquire isn't worth what it does to you. Again, Seneca, quote, If you want to live, but do you know how to live? If you are scared of dying and tell me, is the kind of life you lead really any different from being dead? End of quote. Powerful words that really speak to me. Some of the precepts we will discuss is the origins of this philosophical school going back literally thousands of years. Life lessons and how to apply them, not only to your own life, but maybe to your family, to your work to leading others, to conducting business and doing those kind of things. As a matter of fact, I would contend that of all the philosophical schools out there, having been a person who entered university and started as a philosophy major until I changed, I think this is the most useful school of philosophy for everyday life and that no other school of philosophy or anything that's studied comes close to it for me. Stoicism is about happiness and serenity in a mortal world, to cultivate goodness and virtue. I and, and I've got to tell you, during this premiere episode and all the episodes that are to follow on a fortnightly basis, I don't have all the answers. I have my answers because I can only individuate it to my life because my life, atomistically, is so much different than everybody else's. We can draw general comparisons and we can draw a consensus of sorts on what we all experience together, but all the minor and major attributes that make us the individuals that we are and the actors and interactors with our family, our friends, our neighbors and such, you'll have to know, draw your own unique distinctions on how you can best apply this to make it work for you. As I mentioned, there's not a lot new here it may be new because it's a revelation to you because you haven't been exposed to it. But as I mentioned a little earlier, this Stoic school is literally thousands of years old. 
When I read and draw lessons from Epictetus, Lucretius, Marcus Aurelius, I always see a quest for honor and virtue. I always see a quest not to make and take advantage of folks and to make your life a zero-sum game in which only you gain advantage as long as somebody else is disadvantaged. I don't see that very much. Now, mind you, there are some later writers, and I would contend to my entire audience, I consider Machiavelli to have drawn from the Stoic well for a considerable amount of what he wrote about in The Prince and his other writings, where he didn't use Stoicism so much as a tool to extend and fulfill life with honor and virtue, but as a means to attain power. And there is no doubt, as with all human endeavors, if you wish to use the tools, lifestyles, and what modern folks would call life hacks to attain advantage over other people, there are certainly things in the toolshed of Stoicism that one can draw upon to take advantage of that kind of thing. So one can draw some lessons here. For instance, what are the four Stoic virtues? And there are many more corollaries and axioms that follow on to this. But those four Stoic virtues would be wisdom, courage, justice, and temperance. Wisdom, of course, being that lifelong path that we're all on to learn what life's about, what makes it tick, and how can we do things better. Courage would be, for instance, the moral courage to do the right thing in the face of being the only person in a crowd or the only person in a classroom or the only person at work who points out that what we do right is much better than what we do wrong. Justice serves that, that third stoic virtue. Intemperance is the moderation with which you live your life and spend your life and teaching others that that kind of thing is better because taking most things to excess usually leads down a bad path. So I mentioned probably one of the most famous Stoics of all, and that would be the Roman Emperor Marcus Aurelius. And we will go into his life, his writings, and his teachings in greater depth in future episodes. But one thing that you find in Meditations, which is his most popular book, is there's a, a, a common thread that's central, and that's three disciplines that you find in there. That first discipline is the discipline of perception, and I recommend Gregory Hayes as the best translation from the original Latin for Marcus Aurelius's Meditations. And yes, I will be providing plenty of book recommendations now and in the future. Quote, perception requires that we maintain absolute objectivity of thought, that we see things dispassionately for what they are. End of quote. Now I have my own take on this, and that's this. When it comes to human bias and bias filters, we could be rather careful about how we perceive the world. So here's an everyday life hack recommendation that I recommend to all my readers and listeners. Don't watch the news. There's a reason why they call it programming. So how do I draw an impression of the world around me? Not necessarily always through a stoic lens, but through the lens of perception itself. I read a number of 
websites from different perspectives, a number of books and uh, magazines from different perspectives. What I discover is that I tend to get the most from editorials and opinion pieces because those writers wear their bias filter on their sleeves and I know precisely what it is. I know how to employ my own bias filters. And as a result of that, I am able to get a single most accurate picture because not only do I have full control of my own bias filter, but I know the bias filter of the person that I'm reading or interrogating intellectually. The second discipline, action, deals with our relationships with others. We need, in the words of Marcus Aurelius, quote, to live as nature requires, end of quote. And the simplest way to understand this is to know that we were made for others and not ourselves. What this means is that as humans, as social creatures, we have to keep in mind that certainly our self-interest matters, but our interaction with others matters in both the way we communicate who we are, what we are, what we believe in, but in sort of discovering what they want. Aurelius, of course, had to embrace this because of his day job as an emperor. And the third discipline is the discipline of will. And this encompasses our attitude to things that are not within our control. Now, there's two notions that we have to draw and tease out from this idea. Span of control, which we're going to talk about in future episodes, means that those things you can't control do two things to your life. Number one, don't spend a lot of time with it because in the end, what for? Maybe self-defense in certain respects. But why allow things that are out of your control to control what you do, how you behave, what you do in your life, how you behave with others, if you have no control over those things? We're going to go into this in much further depth in the future. You know, Aurelius would talk of acts of nature, such as fire and illness and even death. And however unpleasant these are, they can only harm us if we choose to see them that way. For instance, I have friends and family who find that there are members of their family who behave in a less than virtuous fashion. But the only thing that you can do within your span of control is always ask yourself, am I doing the right thing? You don't have to emulate when people are behaving in a less than virtuous or less than moral fashion. Set an example. Be an exemplar. Do the right thing. As tired as that phrase sounds, to me, it's almost a default of my life, and my wife has also found value in it. I leave you with this quote from Marcus Aurelius before we move on. Quote, objective judgment, now at this very moment, unselfish action, now at this very moment, willing acceptance, now at this very moment, of all external events. That's all you need, end of quote. I'm providing you with these as food for thought for future episodes, things to think about. What I've found throughout my life is that when I consider things, I can read them, but when I read something to fully grok what I'm reading, it takes time, maybe the next morning, maybe the next week, Maybe over the course of a few months or several years, I'll have an epiphany of something that I had read previously, which takes on a new wolf and temper because of the experience I've had since reading those passages. 
For instance, I find that the 54 volumes of the Great Books of the Western World, which were edited by Hutchinson and Adler in the 1940s, 50s, and 60s for Encyclopedia Britannica, where he tried to bring together this Western canon. And where one can go to these books, again, some thousands of years old, and you find so much that is relevant to today and what you're doing in your own life and which leads to further insights on how the world works, why the world doesn't work, and how the world can work better. As a matter of fact, I recommend a book by Mortimer Adler, one of the two editors of the great books of the Western world that I just mentioned called How to Read a Book. I know that sounds a bit pedantic and maybe even silly in some respects, and it's a rather large tome, but it's incredibly valuable, and I'm so glad that I read it early in my life so that I could figure out those methodologies and ways of reading that would benefit me the most. So there's a lot to be said for it. But one of the things that I discover, especially in studying the Stoics or any number of inquiries in history or science or literature that I've had in the past is that I find that Adler calls it syntopical reading. If I read three to five books on the same subject, I find that they usually come to it from different perspectives, different source codes, different bibliographies, different historiography, especially if it's history, of course. And after three to five books, you start to become more expert yourself where you can identify small and large patterns in what you're reading and you can discover that some things are correct. As a matter of fact, if you take the time to look at footnotes and interrogate those footnotes and maybe even read them and then assess them against earlier readings, you start to get what I, what I referred to earlier when I talked about how you should receive your news from the world, a single most accurate picture of what the world is, what it looks like, and what it means to you. Then, of course, we have to speak to honor. And I think that honor is both a written and an unwritten coda that runs through the lives, readings, and expositions of the Stoics cinematically one of my very favorite notions of honor and this was a way that i could explain it to my uh, my children and my my sons especially is that rob roy in a scene in the movie rob roy he has this really pithy phrase where he says honor is a gift a man gives to himself end of quote that's extraordinary to me and what it means is that even if you are not with other people when you do the right thing, that is an example of your character. And speaking of movies, we can look at Gladiator, I think 2000, 2001, that extraordinary soundtrack by Hans Zimmer. And what you discover is that you ask yourself, well, were there stoic characters in there? And there certainly were. Richard Harris makes his last acting turn before his death, where he plays Marcus Aurelius, and we see some Wonderful notions in there when it comes to Stoicism, of course, the Stoic philosophy of Marcus Aurelius himself. I would contend to you that Maximus, General Maximus, the main character in the film, wasn't quite as Stoic as he's made out to be. While Maximus had his moments, I would contend that Oliver Reed, in his last screen appearance too, who plays Proximo, he's the one who, who runs the, uh, the Ludus, the gladiatorial school, 
he is the most stoic of all of them. I mean, I mean, in short, Maximus's creed of strength and honor seems generically Roman. What one may not necessarily say that it's stoic. One could say it's concomitantly stoic, but it's very Roman. When Proximo, what he says is just before he meets his warrior's death at the hands of the Roman army who were sent after him, he lifts his hands in the air and he says, this is all but dust and shadows. What he's playing at, what he's saying, what he's stating is that in the Stoic worldview, what we do in this life, what we do in the dash, in the end, it matters only to us as individuals. Now, if we happen to have influence on other people around us who either during our life or after our death are made better or more virtuous from having known us, that's all well and good. But in the end, it is all dust and shadows, as Proximo call, calls it. But also in the end, our virtue in our character and our moral code in our honor is the only thing left to us as our epitaph once we shift off this mortal coil. And as a bookend to this, I'll, I'll leave you uh, William O. Stevens, who was a great Stoic observer. He wrote in Creighton Magazine, Winter 2000. He, he, uh, he talked about Maximus in the film, and he points out the fact that Commodus in the film lacks prudence, fortitude, temperance, and justice. I mean, he, he has none of the Stoic virtues. But he does say this, quote, Maximus's determination to survive with courage, honor, and dignity, the general who became a slave, a gladiator, and finally the hero who defeats the evil tyrant, makes him the movie's inheritor of Marcus Aurelius' Stoic philosophy. Does this renewed interest represent a rebirth of Stoicism? In 21st, Ameri 21st century America, with its glorification of power, possession, fame, and money, ready to embrace a philosophy that places greater emphasis on virtue and justice, Perhaps in this time of presidential indiscretions, remember this is published in the year 2000, easy access to pornography on the internet and confusion over social values, Stoicism's time has come again. That's, Sto that's uh, Stevens, the rebirth of Stoicism. I have to say that quote is almost a quarter century old and I do not see this rebirth. If I could do the most minor service in service to the advancement of Stoicism by influencing one person with an earshot of this podcast to pursue this and make marginal changes to their life and make the kind of steps forward, investigation, reading, contemplation, reflection, and adopting a more Stoic mindset in their own lives, then the purpose of this podcast is achieved. So that's what we're going to do in future episodes. Maybe I'll even contemplate doing some movie reviews. We're going to do some book reviews. We're going to discover some of the basics. We're going to discover what was it like to live in ancient Greece and ancient Rome and what would influence one to seek Stoic philosophy or the authors of Stoic philosophy. And what did they do? What happened between now and that time in the distant past that has advanced Stoicism. What's the relationship of Stoicism to honor? What's the relationship of Stoicism to military behavior? So 
Before these future episodes, in which we dive deep on these various subjects, I want to leave you with two thoughts to ponder. Number one is, and these are things that I want you not to nod your head at and say, that's true, I want you to think about this. Number one is, doing good is a good in and of itself. And number two, examining your ability to control and steer your life even when it's uncomfortable, you're doing things that are out of step with fashion and you're doing things that don't conform to norms, those norms which may in fact act against living a good and virtuous life. I also wanted to do a shout out to Brett V at the School Sucks Project who in 2014 had me on for one episode, which turned into four episodes, in which, in which we discussed Stoicism. I don't know if those uh, episodes are still available or not, but that sort of set me on this path. You can also write to me at tdpodcast at pm.me with recommendations, constructive criticisms, comments, or if you want to chat with me, online that's the way to do it and yes i am a bibliophile and yes i have a large library and voltaire said that books are the best furniture much to my wife's chagrin i take that on as a recommendation in a lifestyle so i will have lots of book recommendations in the future a lot of them i also want to mention that i have another podcast which premiered in september that podcast is called Chasing Ghost in a Regular Warfare Podcast, in which I don the other hat I have, which is my expertise in Irregular Warfare. So until next time, this is Bill signing off. <laughs>